0: It's Shadow Talk, your weekly digital risk and threat intelligence podcast. We're coming up to the two-year anniversary of the Tesco Bank fraud attacks, where fraudsters were able to check out with over 2.26 million pounds, just under 3 million US dollars. The team looked through the recent report issued by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, which catalogues a series of spills in the IR process that further exacerbates the situation. All in all, the FCA imposed a financial penalty of 23.4 million pounds on Tesco. This was later discounted to a tidy £16.4 million. Well, I guess every little helps. This episode will be crucial listening for anyone involved in the financial services industry, as well as those eager to learn about incident response processes and how poor execution can have disastrous consequences. All this to come on today's Shadow Talk. Welcome back to another edition of Shadow Talk. I'm your host, Rafael Amado. Joining me this week, it's Simon Hall, Senior Security Engineer here at Digital Shadows. And fresh from his appearance on daytime TV on the BBC, we have Dr. Richard Gold. How are we all? Very well. <laughs> Thank man. you. Rich, you're becoming a bit of a talking head these days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One day I'll actually have to do some work as well to go along with
0: all this. I mean, today you were discussing a story about
1: Facebook accounts being sold online, weren't you? Right, yeah, yeah that's right. We did some research at the BBC. And they uh, they, they called me on my way into work and said, oh, can you come to the studio and uh, have a chat about it? So yeah, that's how that happened.
0: And Facebook has been in the news a lot recently. I don't know why I'm acting surprised here, but last week's podcast, we touched upon the £500,000 fine issued to Facebook by the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, which leads us nicely into today's topic. Today, we're going to delve deep into an investigation and subsequent fine issued By the UK Financial Conduct Authority against Tesco Bank in early October of this year. Now, this relates to an incident that happened almost two years ago in November 2016 that made a lot of headlines. And this involved Tesco Bank customers who were the victim of fraudulent activity on their accounts. What we subsequently learned was that these accounts were conducted by attackers who were able to clone Tesco Bank debit cards and net over £2.26 million. Now, the FCA conducted their own investigation and they found that Tesco had. Uh, basically been guilty of a series of different types of breaches uh, resulting in a financial penalty of twenty three million pounds, which is just upwards of thirty million us dollars and this was later discounted to sixteen point four British pounds, which is just over twenty million us dollars now there are a lot of things I want to get through today, namely going through the different incident response errors that ensued as the attack was going on as well as how the fines were calculated. but first, I want us to go back. Two years ago, the dreamy days of November 2016, and at the time that the news broke out about the Tesco attacks, everyone started calling it a hack. However, what we know now is that this wasn't really a hack at all. So my first question to both of you is, why was there so much confusion about this being a hack? So I think, uh, yeah, go ahead, Rich.
1: Uh, I think the first thing I would like to sort of differentiate between is and you'll forgive the excessive usage of the word cyber, but cyber-enabled crime, like fraud, which is what we see here, and cyber-dependent crime, which is things like hacking, ransomware, that kind of thing. And I think it's pretty natural for people to see when there's a, uh, an, an event, an incident that's affecting a company via the internet to think that it is cyber-dependent, so that it is exclusively taking place in the realm of the cybers, and to forget that it's often just old wine in new bottles.
2: Yeah, and I mean, definitely. I mean, when you look at every attack these days, it's pretty much all down to a computer hack of some kind. Um, So it's easy to get swept up in that, and I think at the time everybody did. Every kind of theory going pretty much relied around it being a cybersecurity incident. Uh, even Tesco's uh, bank themselves thought it was, and they took the website offline and a whole bunch of other precautions that turned out to be inaccurate. Um, but it's an easy mistake to do because of the media. I guess, like, every time something goes on, we we do all hype it up a little bit in the industry. Um, and it makes it become more believable when something occurs and that we we instantly jump to the fact that it's a cyber attack when it's not always the case
1: yeah we kind of forget our occam's razor you know the simplest explanation is the most likely or entities Right. right unnecessarily and i think it's very easy for us as you say to get kind of caught up in the in the moment and you know we often like to think of ourselves as sort of you know highly trained elite ninja hackers rather than Sort of, you know, caretakers or janitors or something which is more accurate about what we actually do.
2: Gravekeepers.
0: <laughs> so for listeners who probably haven't read the report, it would probably be useful for us to tell them a bit of background into what actually happened, so why this wasn't a hack. So can either of you tell me in a simplest way what, what exactly happened here?
2: I'll let Rich do this because he's read the full document. <laughs>
1: So what we know, and you know, first thing to point out is that we don't know everything. So all the details are not there in the report. But what the report states is that the attackers used some kind of virtual cards, we're not sure exactly what these are, to make unauthorized transactions. Now, they were able to make these virtual cards because they were Able to figure out the PAN number, which is like the, the long digit, long string of digits on the front of your credit, credit or debit card, and there were some issues about that, which were quite um, quite surprising. About how the attackers were able to make that prediction, or the flaws that were in the way that Tesco issued their cards that enabled this to happen, and then the the, the unauthorized transactions were being able to be made because the attackers were using a particular type of transaction. This, it's called POS 91, which is where you can make a payment without um, actually providing the, the CVV2, the three digit number on the back of the card. So the attackers used incomplete information and they were able to use it successfully due to failings in the way that Disco Bank were handling transactions.
2: Right, yeah. I mean, I think the, the PAN number, as you said, the 16 digit card number, um, there was some information around the, the sequential. Numbers that we used for these, how they were able to generate them, which was quite interesting. Because um, initially, when this came out, I kind of assumed that every card they produced, and they just incremented by one or whatever else. But I think it was down to the size of the batch sizes that they generated these card numbers in. Um, I think it was like batches of fifty thousand. So the actual number, sorry, the actual amount of uh, card numbers uh, was quite limited. So you you're going to get um, Sequential numbers eventually. So it wasn't like every card produced was sequential, it was, uh, it was just the small batches they were done in.
0: Yeah, and from what I read in the r- report, the FCA have sort of drawn upon a number of different areas where um, Tesco maybe didn't do the right thing. So, on the one hand, we've got the actual payment cards themselves, the flaws in the way that they were created. And then the other side of it is the incident response process as well, which uh, really escalated things and, and made things a lot worse so Let's speak a bit about the incident response process because that's one of the most interesting parts for me Just a number of different things that went wrong that contributed to this attack and let it get even more out of hand than it was Initially, I mean which particular things draw your attention rich.
1: Yeah I mean, It's also worth pointing out that you know, Everywhere has problems in the incident response process um some, you know, so everyone lives somewhere along that that spectrum. Um, this this yeah. document describes those some quite quite significant failings. So the financial crime operations team didn't follow the process that was set out by Tesco Bank. So they emailed the fraud strategy inbox instead of phoning the on-call analyst. Um, that was that, I mean that it took them. It says in the report twenty one hours from the outside, outset of the attack to make contact. Right which is pretty bad and that they also had trouble um, getting hold of the right people because they, the phone number in the rotor was not up-to-date and this is you know, this harks back to the Equifax problem where they didn't have the right people on the distribution list about the Apache struts phone so it's again these simple things and they're not very You know, fancy, they're not very, you know, we're not talking about quantum big data AI in the cloud. You know, it's, is the phone number in the spreadsheet the right phone number? And that's getting that consistently correct is really difficult.
0: Yeah, so what Rich is referring to here is that the financial crime operations team, they firstly emailed a fraud strategy inbox instead of telephoning the on-call fraud analyst, which was set out in the process. Right. And then from there, it took them 21 hours from the outset of the attack to make contact with the Fraud Strategy team. And nothing was done in the meantime to stem the attack.
2: I'm sure I read that email was the wrong email address as well. It was one of the pieces of information that I read, I forget where, but the email address they sent it to was incorrect, as well as not following the procedure where they should have done a phone call initially.
0: Yeah, and I guess for me, this relates to something we talk about a lot on the podcast and whenever Rick Holland is on, as I see, so he likes to talk about playbooks and training and policies. And I guess this really emphasises the importance of all that. Uh, but also it's, it's all well and good having these policies and processes written down. But if people don't, A, understand them and know what to do when an event actually happens, that's when things can go wrong. I mean, Yeah, you've, got to, yeah. Test
1: them. you've yeah. got to
0: test these things. And even
1: if you're testing just small bits and pieces, and even if you're just checking to see if you know the phone number or the email address is correct i mean that is really going to help you because yeah. when everything kicks off you know it's going to be chaotic it's going to get crazy there's going to be conflicting information and all kinds of you know crazy things will happen but if your basic building blocks are in place they will help
2: you and yeah. i think that's one of the key things to remember is th- even if you've done training with your instant response team members um, and whoever else in the company may get involved at that particular time, you can't really simulate that hysteria, and stress, the pressure that all of these people are going to be under at that particular time. And that will make people do uh, crazy things and make them miss steps out from their process. And that's an easy thing to do. And we can't say that any uh, if one of our team members were going through the same that they're going to follow procedure 100 percent, like i don't care who you are with that pressure on you you're going to make a mistake somewhere along the lines
1: yeah you're so right and i think that's something that you know we really need to bear in mind and you've got to think i mean when you read the report you know okay you see lots of mistakes being made but as you say like when you're under that kind of pressure it's easy to make mistakes and so it's not just enough actually to have Documented processes in place, and even if you train them, as 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 I said, you know, when you know all the plans will evaporate with first contact with the enemy, the you've got to have people that you really trust, and keep these in very important roles, people who that even if they can make a mistake, can recover from it quickly, and figure out what's going on. And I mean, moving on from that, you see as well that they they put in place a block on a particular uh, the, the, the transactions on the Sunday, November 6th, 2016, but they didn't monitor the operation of the rule and then found out that it didn't actually do anything. Yeah. So they, you know, they, they, they looked, you know, from when, you know, I talk about this a lot, like it's not so much about what you do, it's about how you do it. And so they did the right thing, in some sense, they put the rule in place. So they did the what, you know, the tick box compliance, yes, we put the rule in place, but they didn't actually care about how well does it work, how effective is it. I think
2: because at that time they had, we don't have much information still, but at that time they had even less information. They really had no idea what was going on. Uh, So they just put in whatever blocks they could think of at the time, what their theories was going on. And obviously, they didn't all work correctly.
0: Yeah, so one of those examples, I think the one Rich was alluding to is, uh, I think they had some information that these attacks were going to be coming out of Brazil, which is subsequently what the FCA have, have confirmed. And when they put the rule in place to try and block these transactions, someone erroneously actually put a euro currency code rather than the relevant Brazilian one. Now, that's a case of user error. And in fair in Tesco's defense, to an extent, even the FCA have drawn this out. They've said Tesco Bank's cybercrime framework was appropriate, but... The framework is obviously only as good as the individuals who work within it and as you said in this hysteria in this moment of panic you have that framework you have that process but it kind of goes out the window and yes you can rely on it but if people don't execute on it I guess yeah. that's when you start having problems
1: yeah kind of- it's it's so hard to even with you know training and, and with good people it's still crazy things can still happen
2: yeah and I think that's why you need multiple people there and review processes. So even in these IR instant response type situations, um, you've got the, the kind of lead who's doing some of this stuff, but someone else needs to be checking everything they do. You know, did we just follow the right procedure there? You sent an email, okay, was it the right inbox and should we have done that first? You know, you do need a second pair of eyes or a third pair of eyes in these stressful situations.
1: And you also need to be asking these questions. Of yourself
2: you know when you of use
1: course the, you yeah. know, it's like you know a process is great but you can't blindly follow it you know it might not be appropriate at that point something might have changed but you so you need to be
0: to be able to respond to those things. to think and on your feet and be later yeah, yeah, yeah. with things so one thing so when news of the attack came out in november of 2016 our own analysts here they shadows did what we call an ACA stable, so alternative competing hypothesis. Try and work out, okay, which, what type of scenario actually is the least inconsistent with what happened. And the initial analysis that we did, which was majority based on public, well, was solely based on public reporting at the time. We could only work with what was being put out there. In in all honesty, hasn't aged too badly. Our analysts said that a mass mass cash out operation was the least inconsistent scenario, which is pretty close to the truth. However, there are also things we didn't consider that we should probably highlight here. For me, what's glaring here is going back to what we talked about, about people calling it a hack, people immediately jumping onto that, is we tend to focus on hacking, on intrusions, on attacker capabilities when, when an event like this happens. But what we, we ourselves didn't really consider and what a lot of other people didn't consider is process failure. Uh, right. that's, that's one thing maybe if we had to revisit the ACA table we'd need to put in there.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, you you kind of implicitly operating under the assumption that all the right things happened, and then when you again, I mentioned the Equifax thing. When you go back and look at that, you know the problems that they had, the process failures that they had, which caused that massive breach. You know the certificate expired, so they didn't have any inspection onto the SSL traffic, so they couldn't see the attackers exfiling all the data. They didn't have you know the right people on the distribution list, so they the right People knew to patch the vulnerability that they had been informed about by U.S.. Uh, and it's the same thing with the, this Tesco bank one. You know they did have information that there was going to be this kind of an issue, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, it's, that's something I think we do overlook, that this process failure is probably much more of a concern than, than anything else, really.
2: Let's just say I think we we see so much in the in the kind of the cybers realm um, Incidents happening every single day and it is so easy just to kind of go along with the flow and uh, And start going down that line. I mean even now when you look at the documentation The fca documentation calls it a cyber attack. Um, i'm still confused by this as to kind of what piece of this is actually technically a cyber attack
1: yeah, it's. I would say it's cyber-enabled attack, if you really yeah. wanted to stretch the point, just that they used the internet and computers, which is you know, fairly common these days, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I think cyber attack, even in AI, yeah, I agree with you. It's, a, it's even, a stretch. It is totally a stretch.
0: So another thing I want to touch on is how the fine was actually calculated. I know the report has been of great interest to those in the financial services industry for obvious reasons. But one big reason is actually the size of the fine. I mean, if we compare it to that Facebook story that we were talking about, there's a big difference in the fine being, being issued here. And one of the reasons for that is the Facebook fine was seemingly so low because this, this was the highest possible fine payable under pre-GDPR rules. Another issue there is that this is actually FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, a big regulator actually issuing this fine as opposed to the ICO. In the future, we'll see what the ICO can can, can issue in terms of fines. But in terms of calculating it, what was interesting for me is, is the different processes and, and, and different things, the different things the FCA had to consider here in terms of reaching this decision. And then also they provided quite a few different discounts as well, which some people might raise eyebrows. I think one about. of the things
1: that was quite interesting with that um, the, 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 the fine is that this is very much you know, the FCA's Ballpark, right? This is what they do, day in, day out. You know, financial fraud, ICO is much more. I would say is a much more nascent capability, mm-hmm. and it's you know still something about privacy and you know online data and how we protect it is still quite new. And we're seeing it, you know, whole new avenues of what, you know, opening up, like the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. You know, mass collection of personal data for micro targeting political uh, ads. This is something which I think we're still coming to grips with, and and probably not doing a particularly good job of it. Whereas fraud, financial fraud, right? We 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 know what that looks like, and I think that's also why you know these and you know Tesco Bank being a bank operating under a regulator directly means that the regulator has a lot more teeth. And you know, sixteen point four million. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna be sharpening some minds.
0: Yeah, and with the comparison with the ICO and. like you said, issues of privacy and data retention. That type of thing is a lot harder to quantify. How do you quantify the the consequence or the effect of, of a breach there or of or data retention or, yeah. or bad practices? Whereas when you look at how the FCA have calculated this, it's very, very structured. So initially the FCA said, well, look, the revenue generated by the bank from the debit cards during the relevant period where these debit cards were issued until the end of the attack, that's not an appropriate indicator of the harm caused. So what they said is Instead, we'll take an average of the aggregate personal account balance during this period. So they took the 1st of June when they issued the debit cards to the 9th of November when they resumed normal operations after the attack. Now that was upwards of 200 million in terms of account balances at risk. Then they looked at the seriousness of the breach and they have their own scale from 0 to 20 percent, five different levels. They said, all right, level four is what applies here, 15 percent. I'm not going to go into detail into how they calculated that. And so they said 15% of that equals 33 million. And then they started applying a few different discounts in terms of how Tesco were very cooperative in terms of the investigation and some mitigating factors like the fact that Tesco did have a framework in place. Um, And because they basically agreed with the FCA early on in terms of the settlement for the fine, they ended up with a final fine of 16.4 million. Had that discount not been applied, it would have been 23 million. Mm. So it's a very structured process they go through. Whereas if we're talking about a Cambridge Analytica st- style one, I yeah, I don't yeah. know where you'd yeah. start yeah, in terms of calculating the, that.
1: Yeah, and, and also the SAA mentioned specifically that this was largely preventable. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about, you know, crazy day and all this kind of...
2: Yeah, because they had been warned, right, about several different factors. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the key things with these finds is... They were, I think, they were warned about the potential batch number the sizes for the batches, and um, for the possibility of sequential card numbers, um, and they were warned about some several pieces of the process. I think, but yeah, yeah, and,
1: and it's also that it's a chain of cascading failures, so it's never just one thing. We also saw that with the with the with the uh, Equifax breach that it wasn't just that struts was unpatched there was all the other aspects to it as well and it's the same with this there was you know the fact that you could make these Post 91 transactions which they were never intended to do but it was enabled by default so you know something we often talk about in security is you've got to have sensible defaults secure by default you can't expect you know some you know, either a company or an individual to start with a completely insecure system and then go through that very lengthy process of hardening it because it's just it, it's so hard to do so difficult. So they there were lots of things like this and then the issues that, as Simon mentioned with the randomization. So that's all of the things together and then of course the incident response process and then all of the you know that whole issue. And when you put everything together that's what causes such a huge problem. But it's it's rare for it to be just one thing in this one and, and Equifax, it's this chain of cascading failures all these yeah. small pieces that together cause this massive problem
0: okay great um, I think we've rattled through the main points I wanted to discuss today is there anything that you guys want to draw out specifically or we can we can take these as call these takeaways then I'll go I'll go to each of you what's one thing you really want to Want to highlight from this report for people who maybe are too lazy to read it themselves.
2: I guess for me, it, it, as we've already mentioned, it comes down to that kind of instant response or just policies in general. Um be it your your kind of general security policies for your organization your IR policies, um, you've always got to take into consideration that a stress factor and the hysteria um, to how people gonna handle the, the policy um, so as rich said like if you've got a strong foundation there some really good guidelines on like you know how they're going to see this policy when they're actually got all this stress on their phones ringing they've got everyone standing over their shoulder they need a guide rope there to actually get them to follow the correct procedures and an additional pair of eyes to make sure that everything's going correctly
1: that's a great point <laughs> If people just would do that, I, the world would be a better place. Uh, Simon just dropping truth bombs, as usual. Uh, I think for me, I would say the secure by default. That should be our goal. Now it's going to be difficult to reach it, but whatever we're building, that's got to be our goal because it's just too much. You know, even a bank, who you know, we're talking access to millions of pounds, did not. Do the hardening that they should have done, probably because it there's other things are prioritised, the needs of the business, and all these kind of things. But at the end of the day, that's what was their that was their undoing. And if these payment systems and you know network systems in general, if they ship with secure defaults, then it makes these kind of mistakes much
0: much harder to do. Great. Well, thank you to Richard. Thank you to Simon. No problem. Listening to that that report or the Final notice by the FSA is available online publicly. Um, and I ju- urge all of you to take a look at it. Thank you very much. Have a good week.